And Mr. Chair, it's 9.04 a.m. Do you want to get started? Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you. And welcome to the October meeting of the Revenue and Bond Oversight Committee. And uh, Mr. Clerk, please uh, get us started. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The first item of a business today is roll call. When you hear your name, please indicate your presence. Chair Liao. Uh, present. Liao, present. Member Camp. Present. Camp, present. Member Boothy. Present. Boothy, present. Member Tang. Present. Tang, present. Member Holliver. Present. Holliver, present. Mr. Chair, we have five members present. We have a quorum. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, first, I would like to welcome uh, Ms. Catherine Ortega as Deputy City Attorney that will be working with the Revenue Bond Oversight Committee. So, welcome, uh, Ms. Ortega, and also would like uh, to extend a big thank you to Deputy City Attorney Mark Blake for all his work and contribution to ARBOC over many years, actually, and certainly for longer than I've been on ARBOC myself personally. So, so thank you uh, to Mr. Blake and uh, welcome, Mr. Rebecca. Thank you. If you have any questions, just let me know. I'm going to be sitting over there. Thank you. All right, Mr. Clerk, I think we are open for uh, ready for public comment. Very good. Agenda item number two is general public comment. This is the opportunity for members of the public to speak on matters that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of ARBOC that are not on today's agenda. If you wish to speak during general public comment, and uh, uh, please raise your hand inside Teams if you're connected through Teams, and we'll hear from you now. I see that we have one caller with their hand raised. Caller, please begin. Can you hear me now? Great. Uh, it's difficult to hear uh, on your end. I, I don't know how the mics are arranged. Anyway, good morning, David Pilpel. So as usual, I'm sure I have thoughts on various agenda items, but given the current world events and um, the immense amount of sadness that I'm feeling as are others, I intend to just listen today if I have items relative to the minutes or other things. I'm sure I'll follow up with Clerk Carroll, but good luck with your work today. Thanks very much. Thank you for sharing your comments. Uh, do you have anyone else who has general public comment at this time? If so, please raise your hand in the team. Mr. Chair, I'm not seeing that we have any other callers in the queue. And just a reminder to everyone in here, make sure you speak loud and directly towards the telephone in the center of the room. Well, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed. Uh, next agenda item, please. Agenda item number three is an ARBOC audit update. Members of ARBOC shall discuss the status of ongoing audits. This is a discussion and possible action item, and we will be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, this is an update on uh, what we call commonly uh, lately as audit number three. This is the uh, the audit that started just a few weeks ago. And with that, I will uh, turn it over to the audit team for an update on progress. Yeah, good morning, committee members. Um, Hunter Wong with CSA uh, presenting a, a short verbal update today for our audit. Um, the audit team met with uh, uh, met together to do an internal kickoff. We'll be scheduling a meeting with uh, PUC with our audit contact over there, Christina Anderson, to have a um, what we call what we're calling a preliminary project meeting. Uh, we'll be discussing the entrance conference logistics and also um, preferred times for us to set up a standing meeting with the PUC project team so that both the audit team and the project team 
the P on the PUC's end are able to meet periodically, um, uh, get questions and documents and get questions answered and get documents passed back and forth. Um, hope to keep phase three moving along smoothly. Uh, we'll be scheduling that for hopefully next week and then an entrance conference uh, shortly after that. Uh, other than that, I think that's the update for our for the audit team today, but happy to answer any questions. Yeah, thank you for the update. Um, just a brief question. Do you expect the same general timelines as audit number one and audit number two, or do you see anything different in audit number three uh, do you think the committee should be aware of? So I think, uh, and thank you for that question, committee. Uh, committee Chair. Um, I think what Eugene, Eugene Yano had mentioned last time still stands. Uh, I believe PUC has transitioned from KPMG as their financial auditor to uh, MGO now. Um, that does come with a level of effort to transition and get the new auditor on board. Um, I can't speak exactly what that effort will look like. That might be something that PUC can speak to, but I know that that is a that is a large um, that's a large effort. Uh, that may take some time for, and I think we would be talking to very similar people as the financial statement auditors are as well. So um, there could potentially be some capacity and bandwidth issues. But again, I, I think uh, PUC may be better able to speak to that. Uh, thank, you. thank you for that. Uh, does PUC have a perspective on this or is Gorilla Scout? Um, hi, this is Irella Blackwood, uh, audit director for the PUC, and um, our perspective is that um, we'll be compliant as usual and um, be willing and able to provide all documents requested, so um, shouldn't be any disruptions on our end. Well, thank you for that. Okay, uh, does the committee have any, any, any thoughts, any questions? On this topic, yes, please go ahead. Uh, I, this is Member Woody. Yeah, Member Woody, thank you. I um, apologies if Clerk, let me know if this is not the right time to talk about it. Um, when we discussed last month, we had a couple of open questions on um, perhaps the audit that just concluded, but this is part of the same series of audits. So the um, thank you. Uh, we were looking for some clarity on the difference in overhead rates, I think, from public works and other agencies. Are you going to touch on that? Okay. Yeah, th we're talking about audit number three. Yeah. Uh, those are the, the action items from audit number two. two? Okay, okay, okay. All right. Sorry. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll cover those in, uh, in the open section. Okay. I think we need we have two follow-up items on, on audit number two that need to be scheduled. Okay. And and those haven't quite been done yet. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for that. That's an important piece. Uh, anything else on audit number three only? Nope. Okay. I think we're ready for public comment. Okay, very good. We'll check now to see if we have any members of the public who have public comment on this agenda item number three, the audit updates. If you are connected through Teams and you wish to speak on this item, please raise your hand inside Teams and we will get to you in order. And Mr. Chair, I'm not seeing that we have any public comment. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed and uh, please uh, pull up the next agenda. Very good. To note for the record that our box is taking no action on agenda item number three and we're moving forward to agenda item number four. 
This is planning for future audits. Members of ARBOC shall discuss planning for future audits to evaluate performance of projects funded by revenue bonds, the discussion and possible action item, and we'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion as well. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. So uh, this agenda item, we have had it on the agenda actually for, for, for some time, and this is about uh, exploring new potential audits for the future. With that, I would like to turn it over to Member Tang and Member Boothy for an update. So thank you, Chair. So I believe I believe with um, the committee's approval of the draft RFP during the last committee meeting, um, the CSA has sent the draft RFP to legal for review. And they are still waiting for legal's um, comments and um, the expected time frame for that is probably seven to eight weeks. So according to CSA, um, after they receive um, legal's edits, they will provide this updated RFP for the committee for review and approval before advertising. So that's the status. So, so that could happen by the end of the year? Correct, yes. yes. Thank you for that. Um, any questions, any comments on, uh, on this agenda item? None? So we're ready for public comment. Very good, moving very quickly, Mr. Chair. We are ready to take public comment on agenda item number four. If you have comments on agenda item number four, this planning for future audit discussion, please raise your hand inside Teams right now and we'll hear from you in the order in which you indicate your interest. And Mr. Chair, I'm seeing no callers in the queue. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed and please call up the next uh, agenda item. Noting once again that we are not taking any action on agenda item number four, but moving forward to agenda item number five, this is the current capital finance plan. Members of ARBOC will receive an update on the current CPUC capital finance plan. This is a discussion and possible action item. This is a presentation, Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk, and uh, thank you, Mr. Klaroff, today for joining us and uh, for uh, sharing with us the capital finance plan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Liao, and I will try to share my presentation. That's not that way. There you go. Very good, thank you, Chair Liao, and thank you, uh, members. I'm sorry to seem like I'm yelling at you. Please yell. Please <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, This is a presentation we made uh, the last several years, even before I joined the CUC, to the um, commission each year. As you know, in February, the commission adopts a 10-year uh, financial plan, including a plan for capital financing. And then each uh, fall, we return with the specific uh, plan for that year as, as assumptions are refined as timing for uh, projects is reassessed. Uh, we obviously only issue debt when we need to, debt, to issue debt. And and the intent is uh, that we finance our projects first with 
commercial paper. Uh, and then as we accumulate that commercial paper, we take it out with revenue bonds. Um, and that provides many administrative advantages and, and lower costs when we're dealing with dozens and uh, dozens of projects across each enterprise. So this is going to be an abbreviated version of the full presentation that we'll provide to the Commission this afternoon, uh, recognizing the focus of this body on revenue bonds. Our capital financing team uh, involved in many things uh, beyond revenue bonds as well. Uh, but we want to make sure <clears throat> you have the information you need to understand what um, we are doing. Uh, for those who are interested in full uh, presentation but don't want to attend the commission meeting, both are online and we provided you uh, both the presentation and the full memo uh, uh, with the reference here on the screen. So we'll talk a little bit about our outstanding debt and then what uh, we've got planned. Um, as you know, the PUC has a very large capital financing uh, program. It's guided by multiple policies that the Commission has adopted uh, through the years that you're well aware of. Again, the 10-year plan is adopted by the Commission in February, um, and then this uh, annual plan derives from that. And it's really to give the Commission an indication of when we will be coming to them for specific action. As you know, the 10-year plan is in years, and we try to give them a more finite uh, uh, definition of timing. It's uh, just to take a step back and talk about where we are today. Uh, we, have, we are in the midst of our largest issuance year in Remember, when we were talking about issuance, we were talking about both money, but we were talking
Thank you, everyone, for your patience. Uh, entirely my mistake. I muted the wrong line and had to reconnect our main bridge telephone line back up. Uh, but the discussion, uh, as soon as we noticed that that line was muted, the discussion ceased. So we're able now to resume because all of our technology is functioning. Uh, and uh, Mr. Sklaroff has the mic. May I, may I just ask a question? Are the others still connected? I see people have disappeared off the screen. Yes. Okay. Very good. Um, if I might just uh, finish with this uh, slide, uh, we got interrupted, um, and I just want to make sure to make a couple of points here. Uh, so th there's a lot of information on this uh, particular slide. It shows you not only the volume of uh, financings. Remember, again, this this includes both new money and refinancing, and notwithstanding what's happened with interest rates, this was a highly uh, productive year for us for refinancing. That's part of why you see a large uh, volume this year. And the second thing this shows you is the breakdown between uh, our green bond program, as you uh, probably are well aware, the uh, SFPUC is widely recognized as a leader in green bonds. Uh, as of the beginning of the year, S&P uh, ranked us as the third largest issuer of green bonds in the municipal market. Uh, we would expect that uh, after the volume of green bonds this year, that, that might even change um, as that market continues to grow. Uh, but we wanted to give you a sense of uh, how busy we've been. Uh, this is the first year in our history that all three enterprises have been borrowing debt. Um, and then we've also been doing other things like uh, WIPIA uh, financing as well. Well, thank you for that. That's uh, quite impressive to see the, the scale of PUC's Green Bond program. I have a question about timing uh, because I, I, I noticed that issuance typically picks up Essentially, when the city is facing some kind of a budget shortfall. Uh, so, when, how do the mechanics of the refunding work? Does the refunding process enable the city to essentially sort of, quote unquote, skip a payment, and that helps with the budget shortfall by pushing out the outstanding debt by a month, or, or how, how does that work? No, there, there's no interplay between the the city's budget and RFQ. We're separate. Each of our enterprises are separate enterprises. Yeah. Uh, the decisions about timing are strictly based on the uh, pace of our projects. Yeah. And as you know, we manage a $1.5 billion uh, commercial paper program. It's actually separate commercial paper programs over across each enterprise. Um, and that borrowing accumulates, and then we need to free up capacity uh, to uh, be able to let new contracts. Um, sometimes, as in the case of the power bonds that will close later this week, uh, those bonds are being issued to free up capacity for new contracts. We, we still have additional capacity under our commercial paper program but we need to uh, free up the appropriation capacity for those for those contracts. 
Um, you know, in, we have, again, many projects across all three enterprises. And um, while we try to make good decisions about timing, we, we can't time those. It's, based, it's really based on, on the flow of the projects and the needs uh, across each of these enterprises. Um, but um, again, we, we manage a combination of short-term financing, long-term financing uh, to manage around uh, the current uh, dynamics. Right now, for example, because we've issued bonds in all three enterprises, um, we will we have uh, well as of uh, the end of this week we will have no uh, commercial paper outstanding, and we'll show you in a, a few moments of uh, why that's advantageous. Normally, the commercial paper is low rate, but right now we're in the situation of what's known as an inverted yield curve, where short-term rates are actually higher than, than longer-term rates. So moving to the I next. I have a question. So, Nicholas, what if, what if the, bond, the bond market is not ideal, but you have an urgency to free up the commercial paper um, capacity? What would you do? Would you still go ahead and issue bonds or hold off um, issuing the project? We, we have a a degree of flexibility, and it's we we don't time this so that we're at at the precipice. Okay. Um, and in fact, we will time uh, financing so that um, uh, refunding and new money can be done together, so that we're being efficient with our uh, cost of, of issuance and and the time uh, of our our attorneys, for example. I have to underscore that each of these transactions is an enormous investment of staff time across each enterprise. Um, the number of people who have to touch each disclosure document is just incredible. There's a lot of work internally, and um, uh, I think I think uh, everyone within the organization is hopeful that this was a one-time event where all three enterprises were doing this in the same year. <laughs> well, it certainly is an enormous amount of work. Just the disclosures alone and, and getting all of that ready. So. On the next page here, you see that, um, as you might expect, uh, given that we're uh, nearly at the end of the WISIP uh, uh, program, WISIP has the, the most outstanding debt, uh, wastewater, um, has uh, uh, significantly grown and will continue to grow. If we were to add in the undrawn uh, federal and state facilities, uh, wastewater would uh, be approximately equal uh, to water uh, at this point. And uh, our power enterprise, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, just borrowed this week, but as you can see, has significantly uh, less state uh, debt to date, although as uh, future plans un unfold, that could change as well. And then as you see at the bottom of the screen, this doesn't include uh, the one and a half billion of commercial paper and then uh, the balance of WIFIA and SRF uh, borrowing. So that we have facilities in place, um, 
uh, and uh, you'll you'll begin to see significant draws on that. Um, WIPI in particular allows us to lock in our rates, uh, and we have two uh, facilities where the, those rates are locked in at a 145 long-term rate, uh, and we we're able to lock in a third facility earlier this year. That is a reimbursement program, so we first need to expend funds from other sources, and then we submit those uh, costs uh, to the federal government, and then we receive those uh, funds back. This gives you an overview of all of those different types of uh, facilities. Uh, the revenue bonds, of course, at, at the top, uh, and then those other facilities that we've done. We also have subordinate obligations, including the certificates of participation that the city and county issued to uh, finance the building that we're all sitting in today. Um, as I mentioned, uh, our team is involved in, in many things in addition to the issuance of new money revenue bonds, uh, the key being that we're managing all this debt that has been previously issued, the, um, the obligations to the investors, the banks, uh, uh, making sure that the payments are made on time. Uh, but particularly what I want to highlight is, is the bottom part of this, where we are looking continuously for opportunities to uh, save money. And I mentioned that we've done a significant amount of refinancing, including a large uh, water refunding, uh, which closed in August. And I think we are scheduled to come back and report to you on the results of that transaction as well as the power bonds sometime in uh, November. Um, the uh, SFPC continues to benefit from very high ratings. Uh, you may have heard in the news that the city and county did have its outlook lowered from stable to negative by one of the rating agencies. We have, it, because we've borrowed across all of these enterprises, all of the enterprises have recently had the ratings uh, updated and uh, successfully maintained not only the high ratings, but also the stable outlooks for the enterprises. Again, Chair Liao, going back to the uh, discussion we're having earlier about um, the separation between uh, the general fund, the, the strong uh, protections under our city charter uh, as, as enterprises. Um, uh, during our break, there was some uh, uh, discussion about interest rates, and I wanted to address that very specifically here. The chart here uh, prepared by uh, one of our financial advisors actually provides you with a lot of information. And let me try to explain it uh, as simply as possible. This is um, the, the, a chart that shows you how we borrow. When we borrow a 30-year bond, conceptually, not every time, but conceptually, what we are really issuing is 30 different bonds. This is very different than the corporate market, where in the corporate market, a bond might have a 10-year term and have a single interest rate. You pay interest 
uh, until the bonds are due and pay off the bonds. We're doing that on a serial basis for all 30 years. So we may have as many as 30 different rates on a given bond transaction that together blend into an all-in true interest cost, which is what we we then uh, report to you. But a holder of a specific bond might have a five-year bond that's uh, being paid interest, and then they receive their 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 money back in in five years. So when we are pricing our bonds, we are pricing all along what what is typically called the yield curve. Um, uh, in 2023, it's, <laughs> it's, it's more of a swiggle than a curve. Uh, but if you look at the yellow dashed line, that gives you the 10-year average of that, that curve. So you can see what the borrowing rate over the last 10 years was for one-year bonds, two-year bonds, and so, so forth. The um, blue bars give you a sense of the range over this past year. So rates have been higher, but more importantly, we've seen this fundamental change in the shape of the yield curve where because of the Fed's actions, short-term rates are higher um, than certainly medium-term rates and even some of the longer-term uh, rates. And that, that, that shifts the dynamics. So, for example, uh, when rates were extraordinarily low, for example, during the pandemic at the short end, uh, the PUC was uh, taking advantage of various note strategies. Um, and as we've talked about, it's, it's unusual that we refinance our commercial paper and go into a lower rate with 30-year debt, but the, that's the phenomenon we've been, been seeing this year. Now, a question is, when we think about green bonds, what kind of yield improvement are you seeing versus non-green? So, um, as you may recall, in 2017, um, the uh, prior administration uh, repealed the ability to advance for fund debt uh, on a tax-exempt basis. So, um, without getting too much in, in the weeds, what, when someone buys a 30-year bond, they want to know they have that yield for some period of time. So typically our bonds will be sold with 10-year call protection. So we cannot call those bonds for 10 years. But beyond that, we have the right to call the bonds and refinance them. Before that uh, legal change, it was also possible to issue tax-exempt bonds in advance of that call date um, and, and set up an escrow. Uh, that, that opportunity has, has gone away, and, which leads me to your specific question. We went through a period where we were issuing a lot of taxable bonds, and the, in the taxable market is a much larger market, but it has higher rates. But in that taxable market, which is an international uh, market, um, the green bond differential is uh, uh, 
more uh, explicit. Um, today, um, you cannot say with certainty that there is a advantage uh, across the board on tax-exempt green bonds. There are incidents, incidences where people have been able to identify a difference. Um, for us, uh, issuing green bonds uh, articulates our core value. We are an enterprise uh, a, a system that begins in, in one national park and ends at the doorstep of another national park. Um, and so our mission is, um, is entirely green across all three enterprises. And so it's an articulation of our, our mission. It has also opened up additional investors uh, for us who specifically target those bonds. But as we get into the pricing, as, as we showed you across that yield curve, um, what it has given uh, the underwriters the ability to do is, is move bonds and adjust all of our rates down, which is ultimately our goal. When we have a green bond uh, and a non-green bond in the same maturity, we can watch in real time the orders coming in and consistently the orders for the green bonds outpace by many times the orders for the non-green bonds. Um, but in the end, we, it, it's very difficult to identify specific um, pricing things. I, I remember reading in the past uh, a pricing advantage is somewhere between three to five basis points. But it sounds like that advantage has kind of gone away. It's, it's not that it's gone away, but it's, it's, it's more specifically in the taxable market. And, and there it's a very clear advantage um, uh, where you have a, a much larger investor base, uh, particularly investors from overseas, who I, I think um, it will be commonly said that our market is about five to seven years behind uh, uh, that market. So it's growing. We, we hope that as new funds emerge um, uh, and have the requirement to invest in, in green bonds, that we will see a pricing differential. Um, but the, the frustrating thing is that um, as this as this uh, type of product has emerged, it's been sold to the investors as you can buy this and not give up yield, and it's been sold to issuers like us as um, you can you can issue these in some days. Someday you'll see an advantage, and and reconciling that is going to be difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I remember some of the pioneering work that PUC did in few years back and one of the issues was uh, listed on the stock on the stock exchange I believe. Yes. Have you repeated that? Is that is that traded there as well? Um, again if if we were to see a, a time where taxable financings made sense, but because of the unique advantage of a tax exempt bond and the tie to the uh, US tax system, um, it's not a, a marketplace that where we would see the same sort of advantage. So the preference is 
initially do tax exempt and that the funding has to be taxable no matter what, right? This is within your regulation. Is that a good way to think of it? Uh, no, actually, yeah, um, right. just the opposite. Um, in, uh, for example, and I, I don't want to get into this too much in the specifics of our recent water bond because we will come back and it's it's a little complex and we'll have good uh, charts for you. Um, but as part of that financing, we were able to refinance bonds that um, were used for eligible taxes and purposes, had to be refinanced previously as taxable bonds because of the rules we were talking about. But by, by doing the funding we just did, we're able to convert them back to tax exempt. Um, and that is part of why um, to anticipate the question, how can you be doing refinancing uh, when interest rates are going up? That's part of the story, but there's a much more um, robust story to tell you when we come back. Exciting. Look forward to it. Um, again, uh, to understand our future uh, plans every year, um, the charter requires us to do a 10-year financial plan. That includes uh, this table that uh, projects forward all of the borrowing that we expect to do. Um, and that brings us then to this year and specifically what we anticipate uh, to issue. Um, this, this report was intended to come to the commission in September uh, but because of uh, commission meetings being uh, rescheduled, uh, it's being held later today. Um, but the commission did approve up to $145 million of power uh, bonds. Uh, those were priced uh, uh, a little less than two weeks ago and are scheduled to close on Thursday. And if we successfully close on Thursday, we will look forward to coming back to you to report on that as well as the water bonds um, uh, in November. Um, and we will again have the email blast of, of the results of that sale. Uh, as you can uh, tell, uh, our commercial paper program for power is 250 uh, million. So we have additional uh, commercial paper capacity, so this is freeing up uh, the ability to let additional contracts. We expect that later this year we will begin the work of um, issuing additional wastewater bonds. These would be new money uh, wastewater bonds, re refinancing uh, uh, commercial uh, paper, but some other things 
um, as well as you um, can appreciate. There are lots of initiatives across uh, alternative water supply and other things that are also coming down the pike, uh, as you probably heard from our commission meeting. And with that, um, I will highlight that uh, more information is available on our, our website about all of our debt. Uh, and with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Great results of, of legislation. It's very impressive. Uh, does the committee have any, any comments, any, any questions? <laughs> you don't have to have questions. <laughs> right. I don't know. I just have reactions. I think um, <laughs> the the insight that you're not issuing one thirty year bond, but thirty different thirty different bonds with different maturities. That was a new insight. I didn't I didn't appreciate that. I need to. I, th I thought that was unique. I didn't know that. Um, if, if you if you go to one of our official statements, you'll see either on the front cover or the inside cover all of those interest uh, rates, uh -huh. which makes intuitive sense because then you're catering to an audience that is endowed for specific yield and maturity, right? And and you'll find that the buyers across that yield curve are different. Municipalities um, are limited to buying in the first five years. They would typically not buy a tax exempt bond, but a taxable municipal bond can be very appealing for a municipality. You'll see individual investors at the front end of the yield curve and different buyers all across uh, the yield curve. The, the, the mix of who's buying at each point in the yield curve uh, differs. Probably in the name, why it's called Series, right? Like yeah. the 2023 Series A, B, C. And and you'll see serial bonds and term bonds, and the term bonds are where we take, for example, five five years, put them together mm -hmm. to appeal to certain buyers. Um, and then we call it a term. And the 10-year financial plan is essentially a rolling plan because you have to do it every year, right? Work, work is already underway for, for the plan that will be brought to the commission in February. Great. Excellent. Well, if we don't have any other questions, any other thoughts, uh, again, Mrs. Burrow, thank you. Great work for you and the team. Thank you for driving this. And uh, now we are ready for public comments. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Chair. We will check now to see if we have any speakers who want to provide public comment on this capital finance plan presentation just provided to Arbach. If you wish to speak on this item and you're connected through Teams, please raise your hand now and that will add you to the queue. Delaying for a moment for our speakers to provide indication they want to speak, but Mr. Chair, I'm not seeing that we have any. Uh, thank you, Mr. Burke. Uh, public comment is uh, closed. Thank you. I'll note for the record that we're taking no action on agenda item number five, and we'll move forward to agenda item number six, which is a discussion of the Arbach sunset date of January 1st, 2025. Members of Arbach will discuss the January 1st, 2025 sunset date of the committee established by ordinance number 308, sorry, 30918. 
it is a discussion and possible action item and will be taking public comment as part of the discussion. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. So this, uh, this agenda item is really a continuation of a conversation we had at last meeting. Uh, you may recall that uh, ARBOC um, in its current format uh, has a sunset date of January 1st of 2025. And during the last meeting, the committee had a conversation, we had a discussion that we uh, feel that there is still a lot of issues of new bonds that is coming down the pike over years to come, both across the water, wastewater, and, and the power enterprise. And uh, that collectively, and here I'm just summarizing what came out of the conversation last time, that we feel that ARBOC should be extended. Uh, ARBOC has been extended a number of times before. So I think if we're all in agreement, just purely from a simplicity perspective, um, I think it might be worth for us to uh, essentially have a resolution to propose an extension of ARBOC in its current configuration for four years. So that would enable us to move this forward. Um, but with that, let me just pause and, and, and really open it up for the community to see if this is something that um, that we should be pursuing. I think I agree with your thoughts, um, especially I, I took a look at the, the, the presentation is going to be presented by the CSIP for the CSIP program. It looks like the estimated completion date for the CSIP program now is sometime in 2029. So that's about four years um, ahead of the current um, sunset date, 2025. So I think um, it's a good idea to extend the sunset date to at least 2029. 2029. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. You know, I'm just kind of thinking about what our work plan is. Um, the audit three is maybe a year away or so from being completed, given you know the timeline of audits one and two. Um, and then we have this other audit on um, performance of infrastructure. Um, I'm wondering if, as we get closer to 2029, would we be issuing additional <laughs> revenue bond audits, <laughs> an additional RFP for that at some point, and uh, or not? I guess we would have to make a decision. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you know how frequently those audits were done um, in the past under the previous contracts. That's just something to keep in mind. Anything beyond. Right, because mm -hmm. if the last bond gets raised in 2029, it's going to be spent beyond that, mm -hmm. right? And so, I, I guess we can kick the can down the road and decide if the ARBOC gets extended again in 29. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, like planning exactly what we're going to do in those four years, right? Is it going to be again? audit per year or like what is anything changing like what will we continue what will we stop doing and what's the new stuff we're going to be doing because you know we all have a lot of insight now of what has worked in the last two three years um, I, I don't have an answer but I'm thinking like what is the stuff we can change going forward no I think all these are very reasonable points maybe I'll just reiterate I think what I said last time is that inertia is really powerful and I think we should have a pretty like be really clear about what we want to do and be set a fairly high bar to 
keep going because it's easier to keep going than to stop doing things in my view. So just make sure that what we're doing is additive because it, it, you know, there's a lot of cost and time involved. So if we're, if it's, it's clear to us and PC and the folks we're supposed to serve that this is, is better than not happening, great. But if it's unclear, then we should think about it pretty hard. Sounds like we have general agreement here. Um, I remember I had a conversation with uh, DCA Blake uh, briefly, but essentially this would be an, uh, a motion to recommend extension uh, for years, and it's not really up for talk whether this does get extended or not. Of course, we'll be asking the board of supervisors to decide that. Uh, so I think at this point, probably we should proceed with uh, with uh, recommendation consent. So you want to, uh, Mr. Chair? make a recommendation from the desk right now that Arbach proposed to the Board of Supervisors an extension date of January 1st, 2029. That's right. Is that right? You want to direct us to communicate that to the Board of Supervisors as a result of a vote that you're planning to take right now? Yes. Okay. For further action. I understand. Would you be amenable to instead having a textual resolution prepared for a future agenda of this body just to approve as a document that everyone has all the text in your agenda packet ahead of time that says everything that you want to have it say? Or would you rather just have it be no, communicated? I, I, I think it's probably best if we do it. The, uh, because I'm thinking about quorum and okay. quorum issues for us okay. um, in the past and potentially in the future as well. That's fine. Of course, that would be in order after we've taken public comment on the discussion. Is that where you want to go so now? Can we, yeah. can we have a motion to authorize the chair to prepare that letter and uh, work with the clerk to send it to the board? Are you making that motion? Sure. I'll second it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll second. Sounds good. Thank you for making it more clear for me. And Mr. Chair, if you want to go to public comment, we can do that now. Uh, yes, please proceed. If you have public comment on this discussion of the Arbach sunset date, which is presently set as January 1st, 2025, and which Arbach is contemplating recommending changing to January 1st, 2029, please indicate your interest to speak on this item by raising your hand inside Teams. And Mr. Chair, I'm not seeing that we have any public comments. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is uh, now closed. On the motion offered by Member Holliber and seconded by Member Camp, we're going to take a vote on that. I want to make sure I've got it all in order here. On that motion, Member Camp. Aye. Camp. Aye. Member Vuthi. Aye. Vuthi. Aye. Member Tang. Aye. Tang. Aye. Member Holliber. Aye. Holliber. Aye. Chair Liao. Aye. Liao. Aye. Mr. Chair, there is no opposition. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Mr. Clerk, uh, the motion passes. Very good. The next agenda item is an update on the Sewer System Improvement Program, SSIP. Members of ARBOC will receive an update on the SSIP and the projected completion date. This is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk, and good morning and welcome. Good thank morning. you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, um, maybe I'll introduce myself. Briefly, uh, my name is Bessie Tam. I'm the new wastewater programs uh, director, um, and I am in this position since June. 
Um, prior to this, I was um, a project manager, senior project manager with SF PUC um, for many years. But I've been with PUC for over 20 years as a project manager, um, specifically for wastewater projects since 2005. So I've been here for a minute. I'm very excited to be here um, presenting this report to you. And Dan's going to help um, help me pull up the slides. Um, so thank you for having me again. Um, we're going to, um, actually let's go back one. We're going to, um, uh, the last time I understand that uh, my predecessor was here, Stephen Robinson, was in July 2021. So I'm going to um, kind of go back a little bit and talk a little bit about our capital planning process. That was a little earlier discussion just to refresh your memory of um, where we are today, where we were, and how we got to how we are doing the capital planning for the wastewater capital programs now. So if you would bear with me, we'll go over some of the history. Hopefully you've seen some of this before. So um, this was how we had originally envisioned the program in 2010. Um, it was originally a three-phase approach, right? Recognizing the affordability, right? How do we finance? Our program because it, it is a uh, you know multi-billion dollar program so at that time in 2010 we were envisioning a three-phase 6.9 billion dollar program uh, we were selecting what projects to do in phase one versus two versus three um, you know recognizing the needs and the priorities of wastewater enterprise the phase one um, approach it was heavily on the treatment uh, side of things, right, because our treatment facilities were at the end of a service life, so you'll see some of the biosolid networks project in phase one. Um, and then in about, uh, you know, 2018-2019, let's go to the next slide, uh, we were evolving to try to understand, you know, as the conditions change in the marketplace, us we started implementing a lot of these projects, right, learning from how do we do things better. These were a lot of the drivers that are, were changing how our SSIP uh, program was envisioned. Affordability is a really um, high uh, you know, consideration on driving the, the evolution, right? Um, the other components, you know, we wanted to take another closer look at level of service and how it dovetails with asset management. Right, so level of service is the worthy um, goal that directed a program. Right, what projects should be in the program and needs to be a certain level of service. On a wastewater enterprise, which are the which is the enterprise that takes on the assets that we build in the capital program, they implement an asset management process. Right, so they need to kind of work together in order to make sure that we're doing the right thing at the right time for the enterprise. Right, because at the end of the day, we're building the house for the enterprise to operate and maintain, eventually for our ratepayers to recognize that benefit. So that's what the item number two is. The last, the third one has um, been a big challenge for us, the market conditions. Um, you know, we've gone through COVID the last couple of years with uh, supply chain issues. Prior to that, um, a lot of the construction and consulting businesses that we rely heavily on to provide both the intellectual engineering um, or technical services, as well as the constructions and the builders, they've also you know, consolidated, right? So um, that's 
you know, reducing the competition, if you will, right? Because certain companies, um, they may be conflicted out of bidding for our, our work, um, especially for the, you know, massive projects that we're putting out, like billion-dollar projects. Um, then we have to be uh, in more intentional about drawing in the competition. Um, the last, yes. Uh, it's just because of the honors contractual requirements that the city has, or is it just because locally there aren't very many companies that do that kind of work? Um, so the question is, you know, are we talking about the city agencies or outside, right? Is that correct? Well, my understanding is that this is San Francisco is quite specific about the requirements for some of these contractors, but it uses really the amount of companies willing to work for the city. Uh, do you see that in this case, or, or, or just the nature of the project that is difficult enough that you don't really have very many companies yeah. enough to do? That's a good question. So, so the so the question is, is it because of the the requirements that there's a lot of various different unique requirements about working with the city, county, and San Francisco, and is that both challenge? For, for our consultants and contractors. There is certainly some of that. Um, for example, you know, we, we uh, I think the Board of Supervisors just um, repealed 12X requirement, um, which there's a, there, there was a requirement in the charter, the 12X requirement, that did not allow us to do businesses for certain uh, various states. So if a company previously was headquartered in Texas, uh, we were not allowed to, they were not allowed to um, bid on our contracts. So that has changed, that has been repealed, which now has opened up the market a little bit more as well. Yeah. So certainly there's some of that, but then really the reality is that us with, you know, we're, we're a utility, right? And all utilities across the nation, right, are all aging. We all have high demand, even within California. Right, you know, we are competing with San Jose, Sacramento, East Bay Mud for the same pool of contractors and consultants, right? So from a supply demand perspective, right, we're not on the upper end, right? We're we're at the you know, we're when we are as the owner, it is actually much more challenging because we're competing with other owners for the same pool of contractors, consultants, etc. Right. So unless you have a company that has a lot of depth where they can you know, bid and provide services for multiple agencies, then, you know, the smaller companies, they're already maxed out in capacity, yeah. So the market conditions, um, as well as employees, right, we're lo constantly looking for engineers, operators. If you know any electrical engineers, send them this way. <laughs> we, we are in short, short supply of electrical engineers just across the uh, city, state, probably across the nation, so yeah, electrical engineers, we need you. <laughs> um, and then, which which kind of dovetail perfectly into my, my the last bullet point, which is, um, again, because of these conditions, right, it affects our ability to um, deliver, right, from the beginning to the end. Um, and then how do we um, deliver these projects in a timely manner for also for wastewater enterprise to accept these assets, right? Because we're building a $2 billion asset. Um, there's also changes in technology, right? So the type of um, operators or employees who will be operating systems are a little bit different from maybe a traditional worker who's been there, you know, working for 20 
years, right? It's a, this is a different technology that we have. We need to train our staff so then they are equipped to take on that asset and start operating. So, so this this slide can dovetail to the next one. So this is kind of a drill down a little bit of that bullet number two previously, which is this asset life cycle concept. Um, so this has been presented to our commission um, many times. Uh, this was in the July 2021 slide as well. So the, the key takeaway from this is just recognizing that uh, the asset management is a continuous process, right? From my perspective on the capital program director, my focus mostly is on the first three boxes, right? So we plan and we budget. We work with teams to deliver the projects. We work with, you know, this is kind of the handoff, it's box number three, where we work with wastewater enterprise to start start up handing off how do we transition the asset for them to operate and maintain. Um, box number four looks small and simple, it's one, but it's huge, right? That we need folks to continue to operate and maintain that asset, use it, because that's really where the benefits come in. And then learning from that process, understanding what might be outstanding needs that comes back up to us, right? So if there are certain needs that wastewater enterprise is saying, hey, wait a minute, I got this piece of equipment that's now 20 years old, it drives us to say, okay, now, you know, do we, do we, can we keep maintaining, do we keep changing the light bulb? Or do we replace it with LED, right? Or do we do something else, right? Do we O&M it? Do we R&R &R it, right? So it's like I always like to use the house analogy, right? O&M kind of like you clean your house, and R&R &R is like maybe now you change out the windows, right? You hire a handyman, and then at some point you're like, wait, I, I want a house addition. Then you come to me on the capital side, right? I need to build you another house because your family has grown, right? You can't keep fitting into one bedroom now. So, you know, at what at what uh, level do you want to, um, what, what portfolio or program do you want to, do you want to exercise to maintain your assets? So that's certainly the cyclical life cycle that we work closely with between the capital team and wastewater enterprise. And then of course the financial component is huge, right? No money, no project. So that's the, um, the purpose of this slide. So on the next one, um, so again, the affordability component is really been a very important um, component that we have been talking and pivoting on in the last couple of years. Um, started with my predecessor and other folks who are in the wastewater um, um, enterprise, and with, you know, with coordinating with finance. So traditionally, like the clean water days, right? We would have a one-time giant investment. At that time, we had funding from the federal government, right, to, to supplement it. For wastewater program, we, you know, really recognize that um, our rate payers, right, within 7 by 7 is responsible, right, will end up paying for the capital improvements and other improvements that we need to do. Um, so we are looking at ways to see how do we pivot, how do we, uh, smooth the curve, if you will, right? Because the impact and the affordability component on the one-time investment um, may just be very uh, challenging and almost, you know, not sustainable for our ratepayers. So the movement now is to see how do we uh, increase more of the R and R, the O and M maintenance component, right? If we can renew, focus more on the renewal and replacement, 
the idea is after most of the investment right now that we're putting in will head work about solids, right? Which is really kind of another uh, once in a lifetime type of <coughs> major changes to our treatment plan. Um, we want to find ways to, again, just kind of smooth out, smooth out that curve and move into more of a rolling type of PIP, capital planning, uh, versus the, you know, FN flow. So that's the approach that we have been taking. Um, so, uh, question? So I remember slide five and six from, has it been like two years ago already? Yes. It's crazy how time moves. Mm -hmm. right? um, and I think on slide six, the last one, yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's pretty much the reason why we're here, right? Because yes. it was a big investment 100 years ago, then 99 years, nothing, and here we are, right? So this is great. Um, and then slide seven is new, the 20-year planning horizon. Yeah, I think whenever we engage in the future and also with respect to the four years, I think it would be great to double-click on that form and operations and maintenance aspect of, of our work, like just like, not doing a one-time investment and then hope for the best, right? <laughs> Continual improvement. I think getting that data and those anecdotes would be would be super interesting and helpful for our work. Thank you. Question. And I wonder, is the um, wastewater enterprise able to tap into the infrastructure bill that Congress passed a couple of years ago? Is there anything for wastewater out of that? That is a good question. I don't have I don't have an answer to that question. Yeah. There's a big one. I mean, what is it, one trillion? And it's a lot of infrastructure work. And I think it touches on utilities. I think it includes um, a certain amount for water and wastewater. I don't know if there's anything for PUC in that bill, but it would be interesting to find out. Did you know? Advisors who are engaged in advising on this, and there, there may be some application uh, to wastewater, but it, I think you'll find most of it to be in power. Thank you. Thank you, Nikolai. So, next slide. Um, so, in this one, again, the whole, the um, Talking, you know, dovetailing from the previous one, um, you already know we have a 10-year capital plan where the first two years uh, budget is more locked in because it's a biannual process. What we are looking to do is also um, to make sure that we are not just looking at the 10-year, but really focusing on more of a 20-year planning horizon, right? Um, certainly, as we move further out into the future, there will be more uncertainty, right, in terms of uh, ability to plan and organize around that. However, we, we know we we do know there's a lot of um, different influences that are going to be affecting our program, right? Sea level rise. Uh, that's a uh, big study happening at the port. The climate adaptation program um, that they are doing along with Army Corps. So we are engaged in a lot of these conversations to. Um, get some understanding to participate and also to get ahead of some of these conversations. There's a lot of um, regulatory uh, driver that's coming from, you know, EPA and regional boards. We're in conversation with the regulatory agencies 
again, to make sure that we understand we're at the table and we're discussing what we need to do to ensure that we continue to meet compliance, right? For wastewater enterprise, we have the NPDES permit. So that is the, um, the, the permit that uh, allows us to operate our plant, right? So that is a big component of what will um, influence how do we, you know, what kind of improvements we make in our system uh, to continue to, make, you know, maintain in compliance. And those regulations and a lot of those conversations are changing as we're seeing, again, sea level rise, climate change. There's a lot of different conversations that's happening in that um, realm. Any questions? Yes, sorry. I'm, 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 so you just mentioned three things, sea level, climate change, regulations. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me that we're affected by all three. Yes. And I, whereas, maybe, I don't know if other cities, if that holds true for New York City or I don't know, Connecticut, but I mean, we're in this unique situation where we have to figure this stuff out, right? On all three, like, it's nuts. Um, I don't know, that was just my reaction. So it's, it's yeah. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs>
tell me another city in the world that has to sort this out with PTSD after you. I actually a lot of the other coastal cities, right? San Diego, yeah. um, like you said, you know, New York City. Basically, if you're along the coast, we are all facing very similar type of challenges. Um, definitely, our partners around the bay. Yeah. We're all um, there. There are regular um, discussions to talk about, um, you know, what what do we do with this, these kind of changing um, situation and. How do you know what are some other potential mitigations? Yeah. So that's all. That's a lot of really robust conversations that um, we have a lot of smart people, not myself, who are engaged in those conversations and then coming back to the table and giving us feedback on, yeah. on uh, the influence on the capital program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just as an example, I I tend to peek over the fence and listen into the board meetings they have in Reno mm. just to see what they're up to. Rising sea levels is not one of their problems. Right, you know, but, but drought might be. Right? Drought is, so you know, yeah, drought is. But or rising like sea levels, yeah, like some yeah. other side yeah. of this coin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they don't have to deal with rising sea levels, right? Right. It's, it's interesting. It's yeah. very different. We all have our different challenges. Lots of vectors. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Next slide, please. Um. So this is a summary of where we are. Um. This was the previous um. 10-year plan that was approved by um, the commission and the board for the uh, fiscal year 24 to 33. Um, overall, since the, since the inception, um, we are currently at $11.9 billion, and you can see the breakdown here. Um, this is just a graphical uh, representation of um, the beautiful spreadsheet that you always see in our 10-year CIP. Um, and you can see, you know, we kind of Categorize our investment again. SSIP is the biggest part of it at 8.3 billion. Um, after that, it's followed by R and R, and we have um, both R and R treatment and collection system, and then finally Treasure Island um, facilities and infrastructure includes um, project like the Ocean Beach um, Climate Adaptation uh, Project that we are also undertaking on. So this is kind of the high-level breakdown of what was approved by our commission in February 2020. Um, this is a slide based on a quarterly report. Uh, these, this is a normal pie chart that we always uh, present to our commission. Um, just recognizing that March 2021 was the uh, pie chart you saw last time that we mm -hmm. presented to our box. And the June is the uh, recent one that, um, that I had presented to the commission at the end of September. So this is the SSIP phase one. So you can see we are maintaining 70 projects. Um, however, the program has um, increased from the 3.6 to about $4.2 billion. Um, again, mostly because of the challenges I cited earlier, the market conditions with um, you know, various issues that we have been facing in the program. So, but overall, we are progressing steadily. So we are close to 60% complete. And when we came here last time, we were at about, you know, under 45% complete. Okay, and you can see we are really at, um, um, in construction is where most of our projects are, right, in terms of the dollar amount that's, that's being invested. So 3.6 out of the 4.4 is in, are in construction contracts right now, right, mostly heavily on the treatment side. Okay, next slide. Um, again, another chart that we provided to the commission at a quarterly report 
the main item that I want to point out is you know, there is really no cost variance uh, between the last quarter and this one, meaning between the March 2023 to the June 2023 report. So typically we go to the commission and we report quarterly. And um, what we uh, focus and talk about is the last column, which is, you know, were there any variances in the last quarter? Uh, the, the, the column before that, column D, is showing, you know, what are the cost variance between the forecast and the formally approved um, um, program that we have presented to the commission. Um, and you can see that for the, uh, the, main, the, the majority of the increases is in the other SSIP subtotal, which we can talk a little bit about on the next slide. Um, so this was presented, the, the version of this that was presented to you in the July um, meeting. Um, I'm gonna kind of go over this row by row. So the first one is the SSIP phase one. So you can kind of see the progression um, you know, we, we have the 2018 baseline, 2020, 2022, and then compared to um, in the last column, what was our latest forecast, <coughs> excuse me, forecast in the 10 year CIP. So you can kind of see the progression of the program. It went from 2.9 um, to, in the 2022, it increased to $4.4 billion, which um, matches the pie chart that you saw earlier. Um, Overall, the program it has a variance of you know over almost 750 million dollars, and the finish date is actually at um, June 2032 for SSIP Phase One. Um, in the last uh, in, in the last 10 year CIP that was approved by the Commission, um, um, again it's 4.4, but our current forecast is actually a little bit better at 4.401. So we have a slight positive variance of 1.5. Currently, based on the last June, the June quarterly report in SSIP. Um, then we can move into each of the roles. So, if you remember earlier, we said we're, we're moving away from a three-phase into more of a rolling CIP. Now, with talking with our commission, we wanted to, you know, that, that discussion if they want to have a way to understand what was in phase one, right? Because that was baseline, that was always track up its own group of projects. So we are respecting that request to track it in that manner. So phase one is what you see on the first line. After that, we are not really doing a phase two and three, but as we see the needs, right, we work with wastewater enterprise to initiate new projects, right, as they're prioritized. So we essentially are um, on ongoing conversations to make sure that, again, we're starting the right projects at the right time. So every two years or so, we would be initiating a new group of projects. So the, on the other SSIP 2018 role, what you see is that we initiated four new projects, okay? That totals to 430 million. Um, that includes a project called Lower Alamany Project, which addressed urban flooding and is also required by the regional board. So regional board issued us a cleanup and abatement order in 20, 2019 um, that we signed um, in a year or so, and that, that included um, a series of projects. The Lower Alamany is one of them that is a required project. Sorry, what board is that? Uh, the Regional Water Quality Control Board. And that's the California issue? Yes, right. 
it's a kind of an extension of EPA to implement, to um, basically, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a regulatory body that, that our treatment plants need to comply to on a, on a permit, on the NPDES permit. So they issue us a permit for us to operate our treatment plants. Oh, okay. And in order to obtain the permit, they have certain requirements. Uh, that is correct. And sometimes they might, you know, want, they might issue certain, in this case, an order to say that there are certain specific requirements that they would want the PUC to implement, right? So it's a negotiation where we concur that this, this is a project we also agree is needed, and the regional board feels strongly that it needs to be implemented within a certain time frame. So then it becomes a regulatory order that we would, you know, we would sign off on. Um, so in the 2018 one, you can again see the progression as it goes through, we, uh, recognizing that we want to track how those four projects progress as time goes on. Um, so in 2020, for two of the projects in that original role, actually that's a scope increase, which led to that $82 million that you see. So one of them is the Oceanside Condition Improvement. So we have a treatment plant on the Oceanside, right? So there were additional um, improvements that uh, we had identified that increased the budget. The second project that was increased is our large diameter sewer project. So we have sewers in San Francisco that are greater than 36 inches in diameter. So we call them large diameter sewers. Um, and um, most of those sewers are like three by five brick sewers, right? So they were built 100 years ago. Um, and recognizing the vulnerability of this, you know, aging infrastructure, um, we had actually the project manager. We implemented a series of projects to do um, improvements on them, targeting specifically these really old assets that are really big. So if they fail, you know, you're going to have you know, disruptions right to the street potentially. So again, we we increased the um, the scope of that project. So that, that's the um, increase that you see there. Um, and then 2022, there was another slight increase um, in the in the project um, because we added a GI grant. So uh, GI grant is um, where we would um, allow you know other other uh, entities to do green infrastructure, right? Um, so that could be things like um, where you see swales in the street. So if you go to like this area, like El Camino del Mar, you'll see some streets around Legion of Honor where you'll see this what we call bioswell. So it's in the street where the stormwater would run off into those retention areas. And we try to capture um, a lot of that rainwater before it goes into our system. So that's one um, aspect of um, GI, uh, green infrastructure. Another term is called low impact design, the industry term. Um, essentially, it reduces the rainwater that goes into our system. So if it doesn't go into our system, we don't have to treat it, we don't have to convey it. So it's pretty good bang for the buck at if they are located at the right places, right? So there are uh, folks like if you own a home in San Francisco, you want to, uh, you know, do uh, some kind of a green infrastructure, um, you can apply for a grant. If it passes um, our criteria, then we um, issue the grant to, to a resident or, or business or school. Mostly it's been taken advantage of by the school district. So it's been a really good um, program for us to coordinate with the schools. Um, it'll be that's educational component. So that's actually a lot of multi-benefits for these uh, types of projects. So 
So I'm not going to drill into too much in each of these, but on the 2021, um, we started um, 32 new projects, which is which is um, which has a budget of 684 million. And again, you can see the progression. Um, is a number of factors, marketing, market conditions, and scope changes within the 31 projects. And then last but not least, in 2022, uh, we initiated 10 new projects, um, which is what you see on the 2022-200 million. I apologize, there is a typo. The finish date should be June 30 of 2033 for the SSIP 2022 projects. So overall, in the 10-year um, CIP, right, that last uh, approval in 2022 was uh, close to $6 billion, right, $5.9897 billion. Our current forecast is a little bit um, over that at nine, uh, almost $6 billion currently. Okay, next slide. So I'll try to go through these quickly. There's a lot of slides. I apologize. Uh, projects in your neighborhood, so this overall map of all the different projects that we are going on around the city. We're gonna drill in on providing a couple of highlights. So we're gonna start next slide with Treasure Island. So this is a $200 million um, project we are delivering using design build delivery process. And then last month we actually did a uh, soft kind of a shovel, uh, soft start on the construction because it's design build, um, the contractor is um, already pro progressing to 95%, but they are demolishing some of the existing structure at the same time. So we're very, very uh, excited about this project. It's going to provide recycled water and food nitrogen removal um, before the discharge is uh, released back out into the bay. So that's a really uh, big deal for us because the nitrogen um, is, you know, contributes to the algae bloom that the bay area has seen in the last couple of years. Okay, next slide. Um, moving on to our west side. So the west side pump station reliability project is uh, in construction. Um, the photos you see here is the um, underground conduit raceway that they are building under the Great Highway. So another really critical project for us, uh, west side pump station or the west side um, <coughs> It's our baby plant, but uh, this is really important for us to uh, discharge the flow from the uh, west side area. Next slide. Um, Lower Alamany, I mentioned this is uh, one of the uh, required projects, uh, cleanup and abatement order. It's close to $300 million um, because there, you can see here that this, this is an area underneath the freeway area where it, it does suffer from a lot of urban uh, flooding. Um, so the project is progressing towards 65% design. Um, it will be building a tunnel, sewer tunnel, to store and convey uh, stormwater flow during the wet season. Next slide. Um, Yosemite Green Infrastructure is a PUC-sponsored capital project. We are partnering with Rec Park, where we are daylighting. You can see here 2,000 feet of the Yosemite Creek, starting at the McLaren Park, and then also looking at bioretention planters, landscape irrigation. Um, we are progressing to a 65% design. Um, and then we're also looking at, uh, you know, again, we're partnering with Rex Park to have a subservice stormwater detention facility under the soccer field. So again, if we can keep the stormwater, detain it, or use it some other way, it, it just reduces the flow that goes into our system. 
uh, and that that helps us on the on the uh, conveyance and treatment component. Sure, can you go back to the previous slide, the layer element? Sure. Is, is there a green infrastructure component to this project? It seems like it would be a good opportunity for that. Um, so when the project has undergone the alternative analysis um, process, uh, we have looked into green infrastructure um, just because of the volume of the flow that this area is experiencing and the fact that it's at the bottom. So typically, like creek daylighting and other components, ideally we would want to take advantage of green infrastructure upstream. Right, okay. because by the time you get to the bottom, your options will be very limited. Um, and if you start doing, let's say, I mean, it's already flooding, <laughs> so if you try to, you know, do bioretention or creep daylighting, it's it's not going anywhere anymore, right? So we're really constrained here um, by just the proximity and the elevation of where it is um, with our treatment plant. Um, so we are looking, there is a planning uh, process of looking for additional opportunities upstream. Okay. Yeah. So there's so typically where you'd want to have it on a hillside. Ideally, I mean, that's, again, it's like this. It gets kind of complicated, like depending on the soil condition, right? And in this area, because it's on kind of like the bayside with the location, the soil condition, the uh, density, of the, the homes and businesses, right, like Alameda Farmers Market is, you know, in the location. Um, it just became a very challenging location at this specific place. Um, but again, we are looking up uphill to see the opportunity. Okay. Yosemite and then mix. Um, Southeast area major projects, not sure if you guys have seen this before, so just, again, just highlighting the Many projects that's going on there. Yep. We visited it. Uh, oh, wonderful! When was it? Last November, was it? Yeah. About a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. okay. So the uh, digesters were still below ground, and now they're. They are ground. above yeah. ground. Yep. Yeah. And the new headworks, and then we want to show also Southeast Community Center on the corner. Okay. So let us know if you're interested in coming out again. It's yeah, I've been going on a couple of tours with the commissioners mm -hmm. too, and it's um, very impressive. Yeah. Do you think that about robot that is building the round digesters? Robot? Or something like mm. some kind of robotic system, or? No, it's actually. Um, I think that was the Oceanside plant. Yeah. Okay. No, I was on Caltrain actually yesterday, okay. and I was riding up okay. next to the round digesters. The, the tanks, right? The tanks, and it looked like it was some kind of a machine.
dive in a little bit on the next couple of slides. So here is um, just an update on the di digester. We are 90% bid out on our, this is the CMGC, so the packages, 90% of them are bid out. This is where we are today. Um, uh, that's uh, um, construction. Thank you. Construction, right. So where, where essentially you have the general contractor and the uh, CMGC, they are on board. Uh, before you kind of finish design, and they provide feedback. But at the same time, what they will do is they actually bid out packages as they come along. So it's not like a design bid build where you put out a package, they said this is how much and how long, right? So you share the risk, if you will, as you go along, which is what we're experiencing right now. Nope, you're welcome. So you can see the tanks in this picture hasn't really been built out, but really they are all above ground now. So next slide. So just kind of deep dive, you can see just the different facilities. So that's the solid pretreatment program um, to the top of the page. That's a um, storage tank and water pump station towards the right, and then the anaerobic digester, which is the where the solids will go, is kind of on the bottom. So we were saying earlier that's the tanks where now they're doing these wire wrappings around them. Another thing I want to point out is in this slide, you can see the number of cranes that's there. So that's a lot of activity, a lot of craze um, happening in this area. Next slide. Um, this is the other big one at treatment at the Southeast plant. It's a new headworks facility uh, project. Um, and then we're also going to jump onto the next slide to do a closer look. So unlike the Balthaz project, this is a very uh, tight space, right? We have on the north that kind of grayish building, which is um, you know, the, the existing kind of facility that they, they've been kind of working around. This project is especially challenging because <clears throat> you cannot stop the flow, right? This is headworks by definition is where the flow first comes in. So while they're doing construction, they also have to maintain <clears throat> um, the flows coming in. So they're maintaining a system while they're trying to build all around it. And the spaces are extremely tight. So this, this has been a uh, really cool, interesting project. You can see that bypass pipe on the bottom near the roadway because we needed bypass the flow while um, the, the builders are there constructing the new assets for us. Next slide. Um, and then just to share some good news, uh, right, with this uh, Southeast Community Center was constructed and we had closed out this project in September 2023. So uh, very proud of um, the efforts that we've made here, this is really a you know center for the community. Um, there are many, many events that's been that have occurred um, in this facility, and um, it gets really booked up and very well utilized. So it's been a, a, a jewel for us. And, and then finally, you know, we we kind of want to also throw in a little bit of the human factor, right? We like to talk about our needs, our projects, and uh, the dollars and cents. Um, but at the same time, or and at the same time, you know, when we're embarking on these mega projects, um, it has a really big impact on the community. And so we really uh, emphasize on the local hiring, right? Especially in the southeast area where we have. So you, know, you see all those cranes, right? All the noise, all the construction that's happening. Um, the contractors and um, the teams have done a really, really good job in terms of 
uh, really emphasizing and encouraging apprenticeships um, in terms of hiring local. You'll see many YouTube videos of folks talking about the experience. I just saw last night LinkedIn. There was a local company that again highlighted how how happy they are that they've gotten a lot of work. Um, and beyond that, because they have this experience working with us, they are also moving on to getting more work right beyond beyond San Francisco, beyond the Southeast community. So this is something that we want to continue. And, and a lot of the contractors who, um, they, they call it micro local, super local hiring or something like that, they, they are you know going around different um, cities uh, to talk about the success that they have implemented in the program and talking to other cities to see how they can harness the same thing. Because again, we are kind of at this place where we need workers in general across industry and if we could encourage more local folks right it's sustainable right it's great for the community you get the support and they are our ratepayers so um it's a win-win-win for all of us and, and this is essentially since 2012 and 13. right okay yep and uh, thank you for listening to my long presentation Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Great to hear all the progress that has been made and, uh, and, and to really see the, the service plans will be taking life with all these new systems and equipment. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And then for the tour, how do we make that arrangement with the committee members? We just touch base separately? That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, can, we can discuss scheduling through email. Thank you. Yeah. And ideally, if you can just suggest maybe two, three days. Uh, that work for you so we can try to line up when uh, we have a limitation in number of folks I think only up to three we can have not to reach quorum uh, that what makes it more complicated so that's great thank you yeah. this is thank great you. thank you thank you appreciate it very much well thank you Mr. Clerk I think uh, you want to check for public comment on this yes, item yes share public comment Folks who are connected to our meeting remotely who have public comment on this update on the sewer system improvement program, please raise your hand inside Teams and you will have three minutes to speak. I'm delaying for a moment. And Mr. Chair, I'm not seeing that we have any callers in the queue. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is uh, now closed and uh, please call the next agenda. Very good. I'll note on our minutes that Arbok is taking no action on agenda item number seven, but there is reason to believe that there may be a future site visit for the uh, biosolids <laughs> digester. Agenda item number eight is minutes approval for the September 5th, 2023 regular meeting minutes. This is a discussion and action item and we'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Arbok members, I want to note that in my haste on Friday, in your packet, I included the already adopted August 1st minutes instead of the September 5th minutes. The September 5th minutes have been posted on the website since the end of that first week of September. I dropped a link in the uh, meeting notes if you need immediate access to them, uh, but they are sent to you uh, now with my apologies. I'm quite proud of the shape of these minutes. I don't have any other changes to make for them, but I just want to make sure that you know that uh, the September 5th minutes are the minutes that are under consideration by the committee tonight. Well, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, does the committee have any questions, any comments for the minutes, or are we ready to approve as presented? We should take public comment on the form 
started with public comment. Can we be connected to the caller who has comments in the form of please begin for three minutes? Can you hear me now? Yes, please begin. Great. Uh, it's David Pilpel. Um, I heard a moment of discussion. I did not click through the link on the minutes, but I did notice in the packet that the minutes appeared to be um, either the wrong title for the September minutes or a draft or something from August. It was very confusing to figure out which uh, set of minutes this was, uh, given the what I would suggest is a, a lack of urgency on this. I would um, suggest uh, deferring approval of the minutes to the next meeting to include potentially uh, two sets of uh, minutes. Um, I, I think it may be problematic to approve the minutes today with um, the packet material uh, perhaps not being uh, correct. Thank you for your comment. I, I, would, I, I would have spent some time looking at the minutes if it's the correct set. Um, anyway, I, I don't think this is a crisis that requires uh, immediate action today. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. I don't see any further callers in the queue, Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Kirk. Public comment is now closed. Um, so we heard from the clerk and we heard also from the caller about the uh, minutes. Does the committee have any, well, really two questions. One is, any comments on the September 5th minutes uh, that are in front of us? And actually also on what the caller, Mr. Philpo, just suggested uh, to um, allow him to uh, see this minute. Um, I would say, if you, if you have any comments now, that would be great so we can capture them. But the second question is, can we defer to the next meeting for approval? I think the five of us are capable of <laughs> determining if the minutes accurately reflect the previous meeting or not. And I don't see any glaring uh, issues. The link that was included in the agenda is correct. And I do want to note for everyone's information that these draft minutes have been posted since the end of the first week of September on our website as well. Um, they're not just being presented to you at this time. They have been available for public review for more than a month at this point. Well, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. That's very important. Uh, oh, great. So it sounds like we'd like to make a motion. Um, approval. Okay. I'll second. Motion has been made by Member Holliver and seconded by Chair Leal to approve the September 5th minutes as presented on that. Member Camp? Aye. Camp, aye. Member Boothie? Aye. Boothie, aye. Member Tang? Aye. Tang, aye. Member Holliver? Aye. Holliver, aye. Chair Leal? Aye. Leal, aye. Mr. Chair, there is no opposition. Thank you, Mr. Kurt. Uh, the motion passes and the minutes are approved. Uh, next agenda item. Agenda item number nine is announcements, comments, questions, and future agenda items, discussion, and possible action items. Uh, I want to note that uh, by request, a communication titled Unexpended Revenue Bond Proceeds Report as of June 30th, 2023 is included as part of the packet for this discussion. 
and we'll be taking public comment as part of the discussion on agenda item number nine. Thank you for that. Um, so we have, a, at least here I'm tracking, three topics to uh, to discuss today. Let's start with the last one that the Turk just shared with us, and that is a report on, on the bonds uh, that is part of the packet. Uh, this is a report that um, uh, from finance, from PUC, that is shared with the committee twice a year. Uh, and this is a report that started last year. You may recall that uh, this came out of audit number one. Uh, audit, audit number one was, it was one of the, the, the findings and one of the suggestions was essentially the production of that report that is now part of our packet to ensure that ARBA has the visibility into those bonds uh, that are outstanding. Uh, so I want to thank PUC really for, 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 for uh, enabling this, uh, this report and, and delivering it on time. Uh, does the committee have any questions, any comment on that report at this time? It's quite detailed. There's a lot of great information on each individual bond. All right. Well, hearing none, thank you for, for reviewing it. It's, it's comprehensive and, and, and quite useful. Uh, the second topic really touches on, on what Member Ruthie uh, mentioned a little bit earlier in today's meeting, and those are really the findings from audit number two. Um, and those findings, there were two, just as a, as a brief recap. One is about impartiality statements signed by key individuals within PUC, and the second one is about overhead rates charged by the Department of Public Works to the Public Utilities Commission. And, and that's something, of course, is, is quite a specialized topic and we really need experts. So my question really to PUC is, when do you think we can schedule those individuals relevant for those two topics to present to the committee? Okay, maybe we can get an answer today, I would imagine, but if we can, maybe we'll, we'll reach out offline and, and then we'll put them on the agenda at some point for, for a conversation for the future. Okay, thank you for that. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the action item to reach out to PUC on, on that. So that will be on the agenda, member with me, and we'll, we'll be able to, to have that conversation. Um, the third topic for, for discussion today is, is also quorum for upcoming meetings. Um, so when we think about, let's say, the next six months, does any of us have any travel uh, of any kind that will take us away from an in-person meeting here at PUC over the next six months. Uh, really open for us to, to, to flag anything, so we are aware of it and really can yeah. plan around it. Any, any, anything else? plan that far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> As of now, I don't have any plans. No? Number 10, I no issues? Okay. Q1 will be an issue for me. Q1, yeah. Okay. So for November, December? Yep. That's that will work. So Q1, TBD. Okay, that is useful. Um, good. Um, we have a number of other topics here in our list. Uh, is there anything else that the committee would like to add or discuss? Mr. Chair, I may, I am going to add an item listing for that potential site visit for the Southeast area major project. Site. Yes, please. Okay. Okay. And, and, and really for the committee's consideration, also any other kind of visit or, or 
you would like to do. Uh, it takes months to do this, as we learned from, from Hatchet's work. Uh, so if there's anything that as, as a group we would like to do, it's probably good to put it on the on the list so we can start planning for it. Okay, well, when did we do the uh, Oceanside tour? Do you remember? Last fall, November. November, and we did then uh, Southeast was in around December. I mean, it was no, just the two of us on that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 During COVID. No, no, uh, yeah. Eric and I also did one tour of the Southeast plant. Southeast plant. Uh, so, what, a year ago? Yeah. 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 So, Southeast will be good to do again. But Oceanside, I think it's pretty fresh, right?